Sophie, my oldest daughter, loves to play dress up more than anything else. In fact, she has tons of dress up dresses that she will take and she will put on and she will pretend to be one princess or another. In fact, she can put on one dress and have three different tiaras, meaning which different princess she actually is. And these are some of her favorite princesses to dress up like. Now, some of you guys may recognize Cinderella over here. And uh, she, she's, you know, she's been around. The, the one in the middle is Rapunzel. She's fairly new. Now, this one on the, my far right, um, that's Sophia the first. I don't expect you to know who she is unless you have young daughters, all right? But if you have young daughters, you probably know all 100 princess rules, all right? But you can see why my daughter Sophie loves this princess, Sophia the first, one of her favorites, all right? Now, when I was a kid, I had two other brothers. We didn't dress up like princesses, all right? That was, that was not what we did. We were Power Rangers, all right? That, that's, how, that's how we went. Now, you guys might think that I was the guy in blue, all right? He was the nerdy one. He wore glasses when he wasn't wearing his Power Ranger helmet. And you might think I was forced to be that guy all the time, and you'd be right, all right? But who did you dress up like when, when you were a kid? Did you dress up like Superman? Was that who you imitated? Did you put on your mom and dad's red cape and, you know, dress up? Or were you instead Batman, all right? Or were you like my daughter and were you a princess? Now, these are all, like, these are most of the Disney princesses right here. There's tons of them now that you can choose from. And I'm sure by the time Sophie, who's now three and a half, I'm sure by the time she's seven, grandma and other grandma are going to acquire for her most of these princess dresses, all right? Well, Sophie, the other day, we were getting ready for the, to go out to the park, and she dressed up like someone she had never dressed up like before, and it caused a little off guard. Jesus. Now, she came out in a, in a princess gown, but she told us that it was, in fact, a robe. And then she had on sandals, and she said, look at my sandals. And then she had on one of her tiaras and said, here's my tiara, but it's actually my crown because Jesus wears a crown. And we're thinking, okay, you know, she's three and a half. She's role-playing. That's fine. We're just, okay, we're going to go to the park. And we go to the park, not trying to make a big deal of it. But then we get there and she starts going up to people and she says, hey, look at my sandals. Don't they make me look like Jesus? And then she goes up to this stroller with this little baby inside of it, with her mom pushing up to it. And she peeks into the stroller and she goes, hi, little baby, I'm Jesus. I died for your sins. <laughs> and Becca is just like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, now that's, that's we need to have a conversation with Sophie, all right? When it, when it is and is not appropriate to dress up like Jesus and tell little children that she died for their sins. That's not okay. But... Sophie did also decide that it was going to be a good time to get up on some playground equipment, lay down, and put her arms out like this. She laid there for 10 minutes. She just laid there. And then she got up and said, okay, mommy, it's time for me to go in the tomb now. And she actually like went underneath the playground equipment. And Becca's just sitting there going, what do these parents in the park think of me and my parenting? Sophie was being very silly. But she was doing something that we're actually called to do. She was imitating Christ. 
The method's a little off, I know, but she's imitating Jesus. My name's Ronald. I am the new middle school pastor at Wayside. I've been here since September, and I am so blessed to be here and be ministering with you all. I have a wife. We've been married for six years. Her name is Becca. I have an older daughter, Sophie. She's three and a half. I have a younger daughter, Penny. She's one and a half. And we have one more on the way. We'll find out in two weeks uh, what we're having. And then she is due on Penny's birthday. So we'll, we'll see how that works out. So we're going to have two years, two years, and hopefully two years and at least a day. We're, we're hoping for that. <laughs> Who do you imitate? Who do you follow? That's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, Paul was a church planter. He wasn't always a church planter. He was actually someone who viciously attacked and viciously persecuted the Christian church. But then one day, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and everything changed. And what Paul did is instead of persecuting the Christian church, he started planting churches. And so what he would do is it's common practice. He would go to one city and he would first go to the Jews in the synagogue and he would tell them about Jesus. And eventually what would happen is Paul would get kicked out of the synagogue, removed from the synagogue. And so he would then go to the Gentiles in that city, those who were pagans and either believed in a false God or, or no God whatsoever I need to preach to them, and eventually he would form a church. But then Paul would eventually get kicked out of that city for offending the pagans and preaching Jesus to the Gentiles. And so he'd start all over and go to the next city. The next time you think about how hard your job is, remember Paul and what his job was. Well, Paul went to this one church, this one city in Corinth, and started a church there. Now, the church in Corinth, it was not a banner church. Paul wrote two letters to them, and in those letters he addressed several issues that the church in Corinth was dealing with, like why it was a bad idea to marry your mother. And then also, how you should not turn communion into a drinking party or feast like they were doing. And he was also talking about when was a good time to interrupt the pastor. Now, I know I'm the middle school pastor, but I'm actually easily distracted. So if we could keep distractions to a minimum, <laughs> that would be really great for me. But Paul also wrote this one sentence to the church in Corinth. Follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Now, Paul had been writing earlier in the book about this issue that the Corinthian church was having with meat sacrificed to idols. Now, we don't really have this problem today. Today, we talk about whether or not we should eat organic or free-range, naturally fed, no steroid meat, or the other stuff. Well, this church at Corinth they were trying to figure out whether or not it was right to eat meat sacrificed to an idol or meat that was not. 
Now, there were two different sides to this. Some Christians in the Corinthian church rightly thought there are no other gods except for God the Father. So if this meat has been sacrificed to a piece of wood or a piece of stone, it doesn't really matter if we eat it, especially if this meat is cheaper than the other stuff over there that's you know, just, sacri- just killed for the sake of eating it. But then there were other Christians, other believers who thought, no, whether or not this is a false god, it's been sacrificed to it and would be wrong for us to consume this meat. And so you can see how a controversy would arise. And what some Christians did is they just kind of took a, well, it doesn't really matter, standpoint. Well, Paul had a different idea in mind. And if you'll turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting with me in verse 23. Starting with me in verse 23. Paul is using a saying here that the Corinthian church had adopted. And the saying was, everything is permissible. Meaning to say that they've been saved by the grace of Jesus, so everything was fine to do. Because Jesus had saved them and God's grace covered them. Well, Paul takes up that here in verse 23. It says, everything is permissible, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one should seek his own good, but the good of other people. Now I know I'm not the only husband here who has ever taken on a project that was supposed to be good for the family, but instead ended up being unhelpful. We just moved here um, in September. We actually stayed in the, these Ivy Wood houses over here for a while. And we, 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 we finally bought our house and, and we started moving in. And we were in for a surprise because when we got to the house, we found out that uh, there was no refrigerator. Now we've moved, we've moved six times in six years of marriage, all right? And for the, first, for the first six years, those were all within a 35 mile radius. We just kept on having to move for one reason or another. But every place had a refrigerator. And so when we got here to this house, we thought, well, there's no refrigerator. So for the first time in my life, I had to go and purchase a refrigerator. And I knew that measuring for the spot was important. All right, and so I, I measure the spot, and I'm thinking, okay, there are about four different points here I need to measure from. There's the counter, okay, I got that. There's the cabinet, okay, I've got that. And there's down at the very bottom floor, got that. 36 inches was my number, all right? So I've got 36 inches. And we go to Home Depot, and I find this refrigerator, and it is 35 inches wide. I think, I'm not good at math, but I do know this. 35 is less than 36. That thing's gonna fit. And so when they deliver our refrigerator and the guys come in, he looks at it and goes, uh. so we pull the fridge in and just have that wonderful moment when he pushes and it goes thud. <laughs> and actually it didn't even go like thud straight in, it went thud sideways because he couldn't even get it to turn to make that point because Ronald had forgotten about the light switches. Those little light switches right there just went, went and even if, even if we did get the refrigerator in like, You'd have to take a ruler to flip on the light switches and turn them off. 
And so instead of doing the easy thing and saying, take the fridge back, we'll go, I'll buy a refrigerator that's 34 inches wide or something else. I said, no, I'm gonna make it fit. There were 18 inch cabinets and I thought, they make cabinets, I can do cabinets. So I removed the cabinets and I put in new cabinets. They were 12 inch cabinets, so there's a lot of room here, but when I took up the cabinets, I realized that the tile only went thus far and it actually needed to go this far and then uh, those cabinets didn't come stained and so somebody needed to stain those cabinets and then when I started taking out this top cabinet, the screw stripped and I think this was all right before dinner, all right, so. It was just unhelpful. <laughs> Becca reminded me that projects that take place at our house should not happen 30 minutes before dinner is served. And projects that happen at our house should be, not for my own good, but for the good of other people. <laughs> but Paul here keeps going on with his argument about eating meat sacrificed to idols. Look with me at verse 25. Eat everything that's sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If one of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that's set before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this food is offered to an idol, don't eat it. Out of consideration for the one who told you and for conscience sake. I don't mean for your own conscience, but for the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanks, why am I being slandered? Because of something I give thanks for. Paul's saying that when it comes to meat sold in the marketplace, buy it, eat it, don't ask questions about it. However, if a Corinthian Christian were to come up to you in the marketplace and say, this is meat sacrificed to an idol. Or if you were sitting down at a meal and someone took the time to point out and say, the food that we're about to eat has been sacrificed to an idol, then he said, don't partake in it. Not for your sake, but for the sake of the one who pointed it out to you. Paul was trying to tell these people you need to be about building bridges and not building walls. But then he also says an interesting thing. If one of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that's set before you. When was the last time an unbeliever invited you over to their house to break bread? In the community we moved from, uh, we, we just lived on this uh, loop of a street. And on our side of the loop were parents and children all under the age of eight. So it was wonderful. There were like 12 children just running up and down the street constantly. And two houses down from us were our friends, Jim and Jill. They didn't attend church. They rode Harley Davidsons late at night when our kids were trying to sleep. They played loud music, they drank, they smoked, and they swore. But they were our friends. And they invited us over several times to their house to break bread and to eat with them. And sometimes it would be for a kid's birthday for one of theirs. And sometimes it would be for Memorial Day or just other celebrations. And the first time they took us over there, though, um, 
Becca went on, went on inside with the girls and I went out to see that Jim was grilling up the main course on his grill and he reached into his cooler with both hands and pulled out two Bud Lights. And he looked at me and he looked at the Buds. He said, uh, I guess you don't want one. <laughs> he knew I was a youth pastor. But in his head, his conscience was turning, was going. Because in our community in Tennessee, the Christians in our community were very outspoken about drinking alcohol. And the Bible is very clear. It never says that drinking alcohol is a sin. Paul encourages Timothy to drink some wine to calm his stomach. Jesus turns water into wine at a marriage celebration. However, it is very clear that getting drunk is a sin. In fact, it tells us so in Ephesians 5:18. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the spirit. But in some church cultures, especially the one we came from, Christians are very outspoken about drinking alcohol and that it is a sin and that those who do it are sinners and not Christians. And so when my friend Jim was offering me this but hesitantly, I, I hesitated too and just kind of looked at it. And then he said, you know, I've got some bottled water in the house. Okay, Jim, great. Bottled water sounds great. Can you get two? Because I'm thirsty. Like, he, he, he goes inside. But what was going on was his conscience was turning about whether or not it would be right for me as a Christian to take this Bud Light and drink it. Now, I don't drink. I never have. Honestly, I don't like the smell of alcohol. <laughs> I worked at a restaurant. I have smelled alcohol. I don't enjoy it. But honestly, some of it, most of the reason of why I don't partake is because I am a youth minister. I work with students. I influence young minds. And I would much rather tell them, your youth pastor has never drank, doesn't want to, would much rather have a Dr. Pepper. Thank you very much. <laughs> But for conscience sake, for Jim's, it was better that I abstain than to have my first bud with him while he's grilling our hamburgers. This is the principle Paul's talking about in verse 28 and 29. If someone says to you, this food is offered to an idol, don't eat it. Out of consideration for the one who told you and for conscience sake. I don't mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? See, if someone pagan or Jew or Christian were to go out of their way to tell that Christian that the meat they were about to buy or eat was sacrificed to an idol, then in their mind, buying it or eating it was a sin. And if they were to see a Christian eating or buying meat sacrificed to an idol in their minds, they would begin to think, this Christian is sinning. This Christian is committing a sin here. Is it now okay to sin by eating this meat? Is, is this Christian perhaps partaking in other sins that I'm not aware of? Paul is saying here, it is better to take in the other person's conscience and put the other person before you, the good of them before yourself. This principle applies to so many gray areas 
that are in our culture today? And what if instead of trying to just make legalistic rules for each and every situation, we just said as Christians, does this decision do me good or does it do good for those around me? Does this decision build a wall or does it build a bridge? Paul isn't just saying, though, that we should consider other people just for the sake of considering other people, that it's a humane thing to do, that it would keep peace, that everybody would just be happier if we all considered other people above ourselves. He's saying there's a purpose here. There's a reason, and he goes to it in verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do everything for God's glory. Give no offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God. Just as I also try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many so that they may be saved. There are three groups of people watching the Corinthian church. In the city of Corinth, there were the Jews Those who believed in God but did not believe in Jesus as the promised Messiah. There were the pagans, the Greeks, who worshipped either false gods or, or believed in no God whatsoever. And then there was the Corinthian church that was also looking at their brothers to see how they would act. And in all these things, Paul was trying to encourage them to act for the benefit of other people, not just because it was a good thing to do, but so that the end result would be more people coming to a saving faith in Christ. We live in a day when the eyes of the world are on us as Christians. And thanks to media with television and even more so with the advent of social media and Facebook and Instagram and all these things, there are so many eyes on Christians to see how we'll react to this crisis or this thing or that news story. Eyes are on us to see how we will react. Will we build a wall or bridge? Paul was saying the church of Corinth was to take every action captive and see that it was done for God's glory and just not for their good alone. It's interesting because he does say to not give offense to the Jews or the Greeks or the church. Not all Christians, but I do know some who seem to only know how to offend and not build up. Then Paul simply summarizes his message in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Follow me as I follow Christ. Which begs the question, who are you following today? Whose example do you seek to imitate? Because I see so many of us seeking out different reasons to be impressed with just about everyone. We look at someone over here and we say, man, their style is on point. The way they wear the tie, the way they dress, I just love that. I'm going to imitate them and dress like them. I know you're not saying that of me. And then I see these other people over here that's going, man, that person is so smart and they are intelligent. I want to think like them. I want to be like them. How do they think? How do they act? I want to follow their example. 
Then I see the students I work with on social media and they see someone who has thousands of followers on their Instagram feed or Twitter and they just say, how, how can I be like that person? I wish I were as followed, as famous as them. How can I model my life after theirs and be like them? Would any of us follow Paul? Because that's what he's suggesting we do. Now, it really sums up his whole argument. He says, follow me. Follow me. Now, I don't know if any of us would pick Paul out in a crowd and say, there's that guy. There is Paul. He's the one I want to follow. Because we have a source called the Acts of Paul and Thecla. I don't suggest you use it for your quiet time at any point, but it does give us a little bit of a picture about what Paul looked like. They wrote here, and he saw Paul coming. A man who was small in size, bald-headed. He had crooked thighs, which means he was bow-legged. Well-built, so he was small, but swole, all right? Laughs from up there, I like that, okay. Said, with eyebrows meeting, all right? So one eyebrow, just one. He had a rather long nose. So throw all that in together, like uh, the picture. But he ends with this. But he was full of grace. I don't think Paul would be someone that we would look at in the crowd and be like, that guy has got it going. I don't know what it is, but that. But yet Paul says, follow him. Now we can say that's not because of his good looks. That's not why we should follow Paul. And the thing is, we shouldn't follow Paul just because he is Paul at all. Paul says, follow me as I, what? Follow Christ. Follow me because of who I'm following. Paul isn't saying that he personally had laid down his liberties and his rights so that he could just make peace with all people. He said he was laying down his liberties, laying down his rights, because it was the example Jesus had set for him. And he was following Jesus' example. If you think about it, Jesus is God and deserves to be worshipped by thousands upon thousands of angels for an eternity. And yet we see Jesus that we've just celebrated here at Christmas coming down in a low form as a baby born in poverty to two teenagers. And he didn't live in a palace like he deserved, but instead he walked around homeless like an outcast. And he didn't break bread with the people who were influential or important, but instead he ate with sinners and lepers and outcasts. Paul is saying, follow us because of who he follows. The best example to give of Jesus' life is his death on the cross. At any moment, he could have called down a legion of angels to take him away, to stop his pain, his suffering, but he didn't. He willingly laid down his life, accepted the torture of the cross, and died so that many 
be saved. Jesus gave up his rights. Jesus gave up his liberties. And he lived a life that was not just pleasing to him, but pleasing to God. Paul tells us to follow him because he follows Christ. Who are you following? Who do you follow? Whose example do you set to imitate? What person are you looking at to say, I wish I were like them? And then, who follows you? And are you leading those who follow you to Christ? Now, you might say, Ronald, I don't have anybody following me. I'm not a person that people follow, people look to as an example. And trust me, I would say the same thing, except I have these two beautiful little girls. They're both redheaded, and they're really hard to miss. They're gorgeous. But Lord help them, they are imitating their dad. They're following the example of their dad. And I see my life and my tendencies and my, my tics being played out in front of me by my girls. And they're doing what I'm doing, and they're imitating me. And then I have this beautiful, wonderful wife who is smart and intelligent and married way below where she could have. <laughs> but for some reason, she chose me. And through budgets and crisis and cross-country moves, she follows me. And then there are the students that I have the joy and the privilege to work with who look at my life and they're saying, Ronald is a minister. Ronald is a few steps farther in his Christian walk than I am. If you see them, remind them that I am 15 years older than most of them, all right, just to let them know, maybe one or two steps farther along than they are. But they're still looking at my life and saying, is, is his life worth imitating? Is his life worth being like? Now, I know that some of you can say, Ronald, I've got you. I'm not, a, I'm not a husband nor a wife. I have no children. I'm not a youth minister. No one's following me. Well, do you work? Do you have coworkers who you see on a daily basis? Do you go to school? Do you have people who are in the classroom with you and that you see them at all times? Do you have brothers or sisters, older or younger? Do you have people that you interact with on a daily basis? You have people following you. And they might not even let you in on the fact that they are looking to your example. But instead, they're in the background, watching you, seeing how you act, seeing how you live out your Christ-changed life, and say, I'm following them. Where will they lead me? Are you leading those who follow you to Christ? Sophie imitated Jesus. Ask her a wanna club, she's done that more than once. <laughs> and honestly, it's, it's silly, but she was imitating Christ, following Christ. As we begin the new year, I know that some of you have made New Year's resolutions. And this is day five, and it might be time to remake some of those resolutions or make them again. But let me challenge you. 
with these two questions. Who am I following? And am I leading those who follow me to Jesus? So often we make little of ourselves and we say, oh, I'm no, I'm no saint, I'm not someone worth following, but that's not Paul's argument. He says, call people to follow you because of the person you follow. Call people to watch your example, to see your life because of the person who you are imitating. What would make you a person worth following? Asking this question, am I following Jesus? Do I model my life on the life Jesus led? Do I love as Jesus loved others? Do I give of myself as Jesus gave of himself? Do I speak truth as Jesus spoke truth? Do I love the outcast, the sinner, the leper, the poor, the heavy-hearted? Do I love them like Jesus loved them? And the more you are able to say, yes, my life is a model, is a reflection of the life that Jesus lived, the more you will be able to say, I am someone worth following. Not because of who I am, but because of the person I follow. The one who I follow. And even still, there may be some of you in here today who wandered into the worship center You are here, and you have never made a decision to follow Jesus. I pray that today you would understand that the sin in your life keeps you from God. But God sent Jesus to live a perfect life, a life completely pure and free, to die the death that you deserved and to be raised back to life to prove that he was who he said he was. And that if you believe in Jesus and repent of your sins, God will no longer look at your life as sinful and rebellious, but instead will credit the perfect life of Jesus to you. Instead of seeing your life, he'll see his son's. Today we are going to take communion communion as a reminder of the life that Jesus lived, the death that Jesus died, and how it was for us. Perhaps today, this can be the first time that you take communion as a follower of Christ. Will you pray with me? Our God, we thank you. We thank you that you sent Christ to not just be the example for us, to not just live a perfect life, but God, we thank you that he laid down his rights, he laid down his freedoms, his liberties so that many could be saved. God, I pray that we would follow his example, that we would look to our own lives and say, is this decision we are making beneficial for only me, or will it cause many to be saved? 
God, I pray that we will all look at our lives and say that we are someone worth following because of the one we follow, that we would lead others to follow our example so that we might lead them to Christ. God, we thank you for sending us your son, for loving us so much that you sent Jesus to us. Thank you, God. May we live a life that reflects the life of him and that leads others to our Savior as well. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Men, if you'll come forward.
As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples. He said, take it and eat it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood that establishes the covenant. It is shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you all for being with us this morning. You are dismissed.